Howdy, howdy. Welcome to the Armory Podcast, Episode 1. Uh, we're your hosts. I'm Blake. Chandler. And Alex. The podcast, Armory Podcast, is going to be centered around mostly the AR-15, but to some extent carbines in general, and you know how we're uh, how you'd want to set them up for certain things. We're really going to be talking about accessories and later on getting into the uh, nitty-gritty details of the functioning of the AR. Uh, maybe some other things like kit, but this first episode, we're going to focus mostly on what I think is the most important thing, and that's optics. Right. So why the AR? Like, why do we have carbines? Why do we have rifles? What what makes them better than pistols? That is the most important thing to cover first. Um, so mainly, uh, Alex, you want to get into like why it's prefer- preferable over a pistol so I can read ahead in our notes? I mean, just... It, going over super quickly, uh, number one is lethality. Um, the nine millimeter is, which is the, the most commonly used pistol round, it does not have anywhere close to the lethality of a rifle shot. I think in America, somewhat somewhere between the range of like seventy to eighty-five percent of people shot with pistols survive. And Blake, correct me if I'm wrong. That number drops down to like twenty-five to thirty percent with rifles. I think it's lower than that, actually. I don't know for certain. And that's but, and that is with modern healthcare, and that's going yeah. to a hospital. Um, in situations where the hospital is not immediately active, like a rifle is almost one hundred percent of the time lethal. Easier to shoot, more accurate, uh, more rounds on target. Just can take them out to distance easier. No, I, I think that is that stat is applying to people who are alive when they get to the hospital. So obviously, su- suicides would pad pistol stats otherwise. But um, yeah, if you're alive when you get to the hospital, they can usually patch you up from a pistol. Kind of like Joe Biden said, you know, a nine millimeter blows along out of the back of your body. <laughs> not quite. It's kind of the opposite of that. It does not do that. Five, five, yeah. six. Five, so five, five, six will turn your head a, into, into a Tom Brady football. But there is a uh, there's a specific picture of a certain pedophile at a certain protest who no longer has a bicep, yeah. and you can thank the 556 for that. I think he was just a domestic abuser, but yeah. Yeah, 556 will turn your head into Tom Brady's football. <laughs> <laughs> I wish uh, I could find those pictures from the uh, Kenya shootout with that uh, that SAS guy. Grantham's got a great video on what 556 does to the human skull. We'll move on. Yeah. Uh, so it's also a lot easier to, if, to shoot you know, as far as getting hits quickly, uh, even out the distance, you know, your nine mil is going to have a really poor trajectory and it's going to lose a lot of its energy. Five, five, six is effective easily four times as far as nine mil. Uh, Alex, we're getting a lot of, uh, road noise. Ah, sorry about that. Just yeah, mute yourself uh, until you get it sorted out. Okay. Uh, um, so the, uh, the progression of like, the things that you would want to set your rifle up for. Uh, I, I view it as like a, a spectrum going from things that are easy to set the gun up for that have low requirements uh, for skill and expense and all that uh, moving towards a higher requirement. So the easiest thing to really to set a rifle up for is home defense. The AR is the best thing to use for home defense, but really anything works. You could use your deer rifle, your shotgun, your pistol, whatever. I would say the AR is the best because uh, you get very little overpenetration with 5.56 at good velocities because it fragments so well in the body, uh, and you get a 30-round magazine, uh, and it's 
basically no recoil. You got an adjustable stock for the whole family to use. It's just the correct choice. Uh, Chandler, you have a special term for the next thing up from home defense. I like to call it homestead defense. It's like what you would, you know, defend your neighborhood with, essentially. It's what I would consider it to be. You know, if you were, yeah. as soon as you step outside of your house, homestead defense, which is, yeah. you know, some people don't want to think that that's a possibility, but the truth is, it yeah. is. If you do that tomorrow, you will probably go to jail. But um, there can be situations where you might need to take a shot into your rural driveway that's uh, 200 yards away. There might be situations when you need to defend your your suburban neighborhood with 150 yard shots. I mean, um, to be fair, keep keep in mind there's also uh, God, I can't remember his name right now. The uh, the old he got on Fox News, old white dude who went out there with an M16A4 clone during the BLM protests. Oh yeah, there was there was that guy. Um, he didn't even That's fire perfect. warning shots. But that does remind me of. Uh, kind of skipping ahead a little bit in our progression to active shooters. Um, one of the uh, active shooters in Texas was put down by a boomer with a like A2 style rifle, uh, had a handful of bullets, not even loaded in a magazine, ran to the church and managed to get a couple hits on the guy. Uh, probably would have done a lot better if he had his mags loaded. But yeah, it, it that's in your neighborhood within walking distance, you might need to use a rifle. Uh, including if your neighborhood is a city. So right now I'm staying in the city of Austin. Uh, I will accept your condolences. Uh, but I'm on the 18th floor of an apartment building. I can look across the street probably three or 400 yards away. And there's a 20-story building right there. And I can look in the other direction and see the UT clock tower where there was a sniper incident in 93? 93? 93? Anybody know? No. I think I think it was 93. Dude got up there with like a 30 out six or something and just started shooting like pregnant women, random people. It was people bad. tend to really underestimate distances. They think yeah. if they're not out riding a horse, then they will never have to shoot something at yeah. more than a hundred yards, which just is just unequivocally not the case. Don't yeah. don't don't just assume that because you're in a city a seven and a half inch AR is the move. It might be the move yeah. on the ground level. Uh, but you probably don't spend that much time on the ground level. The thing is, even even at a ground level, most city blocks are more than a hundred yeah. yards uh, exactly like distance. And if city you, blocks if are bigger think, than people think. Right, and you can see three or four city blocks easy at a time. I mean, the main road in your suburban neighborhood is probably has a straight line of sight that you're not actually thinking about that you would never wouldn't come up because you know you don't really think about those things. We tend to think yeah. like you know, a three yard hallway. So in our little uh, progression, we covered home defense, homestead defense, and we, I labeled that one urban ranged, right? You might need to take, you know, that clock tower shot that some Texas highway patrolman had to make in 93. Um, the next one. So those were all kind of like extending your range. The next one is a different capability entirely. That's your active shooter situation. For this, you you might want like a, a bag gun, like it was really popular in 2020 for a certain reason, uh, like a folding gun, like a SIG rattler or a little 300 blackout or a little PCC. Um, or an AR with a law folder. An AR with a law folder, yeah. yeah try you buying can, a law folder in 2020. They basically didn't exist. Yeah, MCXs were 3500 bucks. It was insane. Um 
so yeah, you might need a little bag gun for an active shooter or peaceful protests, uh, something like that. Um, Chandler, do you have any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think that that's bag guns are totally a thing that should be considered. Yeah, I don't uh, know that it would be a big priority for most people, but it's definitely on the list. One one thing that is honestly something to keep in mind if you are really worried about that kind of scenario and you're a super poor and you super have a Glock 19, honestly, a flux brace or something like that is not a horrible idea. If you have two yeah. Glocks and you can throw a flux brace on one, you can put it in the center console of a truck, take it out, you've got another point of contact to really help stabilize the firearm, and that's something that should be considered in the bad gun territory too, but that's kind of really specific. So, But I did just want to go ahead and bring it up. They do yeah. exist. We're mostly talking about ARs, but that is a thing. There's a really there's some really elegant solutions coming out for the P320 for that too. Um, or your little BNT TP9, whatever. Generally, I would almost always prefer a rifle caliber if you can afford the extra couple inches, like an MCX Rattler. Nowadays, we, we're able to make, you know, the MP5 is... The MP5 of the 80s is is you know a nine millimeter basically. Yeah, it's as big as an 11.5 AR. It's just, it's it's not any bigger than some SBRs we're making nowadays, especially the ones in 300 blackout. But yeah, like specifically the Sig Rattler is roughly the same size of an MP5K, and I, an MP5K is a very very small profile firearm, and the fact that we can fit a rifle cartridge into a uh, a size that smalls astonishing and it also kind of makes PCCs useless but that's a different story for another night so what's what's what do you think is the next step up well like, I was trying to find the uh, the funny video of James Yeager saying shoot the loud one first but uh, <laughs> y'all can look that up on your own <laughs> make sure you get the one on the car yeah so next step up from your you know your peaceful protests is uh, your like collapse situation your SHTF, the, your WROL, yeah. your Walking Dead, your Mad your escape from Your escape from Darkov. This is yeah. what everyone thinks that their gun is for. It's either home say. defense or this. Yeah. Um, this is a, depending on who you ask, it's a likely scenario. We're not going to get into this conspiracy theories today. But um, I'm, I'm preparing for it. I will go ahead and say that. Uh, not necessarily because I think it's guaranteed to come, but it might. Uh, so for this situation, you're probably going to want a more general purpose rifle, I would say, uh, because you're not necessarily going to be able to just leave, you know, something that's 200 yards away isn't necessarily not your problem. Something that's 500 yards away is not necessarily not your problem. Right. Uh, this is where you start needing a little bit more capability. That's what that's, I would say. That's the big word. Yeah. Capability. Um, this is where your night vision capability comes into play a lot where your suppressors become a lot more useful. They're useful for all of these. Don't get me wrong, but this is where, you know, your flash signature. This is where the force multipliers start multiplying. (laughs) Dude, all the buzzwords. Go ahead and throw an optimal and purpose-driven while we're at it. Something in there. (laughs) Yeah. Modular. Uh, I think we, yeah, that's pretty good on that. And then your, obviously your, your greatest, High, hardest to prepare for scenario would be a straight up war. I'm like talking in, Red Dawn like, three. Yeah, Ukraine right now in 2022, uh, like semi-conventional war against a superior force. 
UN invasion, your own government, Russian invasion, depending Emphasis on where you live, on the Chinese your own invasion. government. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe your neighbors. You don't know. Uh, that's... Lizard that's one neighbor. Yeah. Coalition of, you know, foreign governments. Uh, this is where you might really want uh, to really pay attention to what's going into your build. This is where your quality starts to play a lot. This gun might see thousands and thousands of rounds, and you still need to rely on it. Um, you're going to need all the capability you can pack into it, uh, including fire rate, etc. This, um, this one has to do all of the above as best as it can. Yeah, and it also, you have to keep in mind with your budget, it has to be supported by kit, by training, by teammates. It's a big deal. Um, most of you listening probably aren't going to prepare for that for like another, what do you think, Chandler? Two years? Three years? One before people think least. that's important I to mean, prepare for? Yeah. <laughs> Russia kind of sped it up uh, this year. but uh, Honestly, regardless of where you live, I think it's a responsibility of a grown-ass man to be prepared to uh, fight a conventional war in his own homeland. Not only that, I mean, it it is what the Second Amendment is for. It, the entire purpose of the Second Amendment is to fight a conventional war on your own territory because that's what the founding fathers experienced. Yeah. You know, and so, it's a, you, you have a responsibility as a man, not only to protect your family and your way of life, but you have a responsibility to your forefathers and the creators of this nation to be prepared for that. Uh, both based and red pilled. Uh, so we're going to get into optics. Um, first, obviously your rifle needs a sling and a flashlight. Sights. Pretty it's, pretty simple. You yeah. have to be able to see things at dark and you need something yeah. to retain the gun to well, you. It might even be the next episode. We'll go over we can probably spend most of an episode just talking about slings and lights and all the details and stuff, different options. But um you need a sling and a light on your gun. Yeah. You don't your look, your DDM four is really cool. I love the EOTech on it. it. you need a flashlight on it before you get out of your basement and shoot your mom in the face. Yeah. Uh We'll go over have, it. Have to probably, be able to maybe, see. Probably next episode, honestly. Have to be able to see. Have to be able to have a way of retaining it yeah. to your body. That's... And there, there are cheap options. There are really expensive options. Uh, you can go either way. Um, so, so optics, 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 optics. So uh, we'll throw out the classifications. I think these came from Brass Facts. Is I mean, he's obviously not the first, but we're going to use the classifications he uses. Uh, so you've got SBRs. Shorter than like, so like your 10.5, 11.5, 12.5. Your GPRs, which we're going to marginally call your 13.7 to 16 inch, and your SPRs, which are your 16 to 20s. Um, yeah. So, an SBR short barreled rifle, that's something you probably have a pistol brace on, or unless you're really cool. Um, your GPR is uh, like a recce rifle, right? Recce. So, that's going to be. Recce. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, it's a recce rifle. Um, and then your uh, SPR is a like a Mark 12 style build. It's designed to really stretch the legs on a 5.56. And uh, it's really optimized for that, you know, past, like close, 50 would be really close to use it in. It's really more optimized for that 75 to, uh, what do you think, six, six or 700 yard engagement and getting that first round hit. Right. I would I would oh. say super quick to categorize it. SBR is for 200 yards and under. 
GPR is for... I, I don't for, agree with that. Uh, I don't agree with that. Well, I would say GPR is between close quarters battle, whatever that is, out to like 400 max, and then past so, 400. So here's the thing. You can use your 11.5 out to 500 yards. You're just not going to get first round hits with it. Um, so, you know, just keep that in mind. Probably, unless you're like really good, but you're probably not. Uh, you're listening to the three of us, so you're probably not that good. Uh, there's also bad guns on the other end. They're, I would consider them a separate category from uh, SBRs, and I would say that includes PCCs and Tiny 300 Blackouts. Uh, but as far as barrel length goes, uh, don't buy a 10.3. If you have a 10.3, I might consider getting rid of it. Uh, don't buy a 10.5. If you have a 10.5, go ahead and keep it. Uh, buy an 11.5. 11.5s are cool. Buy 12.5, 13.7, whatever. Uh, going over 16 is pretty long. Uh, 16's not that long. Going over 16 is pretty long. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't pick something in between eleven five and fourteen five is what I would say to pretty much anybody. Anything, it's all going to get, it's all going to do what you need it to do. It's how you set it up and what it's for that's going to make the difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, with a, between a ten five and eleven five, you get you gain a lot of velocity and lethality, and you gain a lot of you, you the recoil on the gun is a lot lower. The gun lasts a lot longer. It's not as gassy. Um, it's just not beating itself up as much. You're really stretching the capability of an AR just with its own functioning by going. The difference below between the increments is not super significant, but the jump from ten three slash ten five to eleven five is kind of significant. Pretty pretty big. Yeah. So I yeah. Don't necessarily get rid of your ten five. Go ahead and get rid of your ten three. Um, your eleven five to sixteen. I would say. Uh, 16 with a silencer on it is pretty freaking long. I'll go uh, ahead and say like, it's not that bad. My, so my only AR-15 is a just general purpose 16-inch LPVL. 16 gets a little long for home defense. There are certain situations in which I've noticed just practicing clearing my house that if my barrel was literally an inch and a half or two inches shorter, then I wouldn't have to manipulate the firearm. But there's just that little bit of extra room there. That means I have to put the stock over my shoulder just for half a second or whatever it is. So there is that to note. 16 is kind of long for home defense, yeah. but it's definitely doable. Yeah, so with barrel length, basically what you're balancing is uh, you get more velocity with longer barrel lengths, obviously, which are going to get you better first-round hate capabilities and better maximum ranges uh, and better lethality at extended ranges. Like 400 yards with an 11.5, you're poking holes. Uh, versus with an 18 inch, you're and hitting pretty good. Because everyone's uh, going to spend way too long trying to figure out which barrel to get, uh, I would just say that if you're worried about it, um, probably just go longer. Go with one of the longer options you're considering. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're stuck between two, probably pick the longer of the two, um, because a, a really short gun is not as comfortable as you think it is, honestly. Um, but so the 11.5, I think really makes more sense with a silencer, uh, because that keeps your, with a K can, you're getting under that 16 inch length with a full size can. It's not that long either. So the 11.5 really shines with a silencer. Uh, and it's a little bit too short without one. Honestly, 12.5 for me without a silencer still feels a little too short. There's, there's just not enough weight in the front of the gun to balance it out. Um, what when you what you gain with a longer barrel uh, is 
if you're shooting without a silencer, you get better balance and handling. You get a longer gas system, so you're going to get less recoil, and it's going to last longer. Uh, and you get a longer handguard is one that's overlooked a lot. A longer handguard really improves your shooting ability. It, uh, I would say, say it's easier gemma? and more comfortable to get a grip on it, yeah. Yeah. I, I would say out to 12 and 3 quarter inch is about what, what I consider comfortable. Past that, it's not really necessary, but since my main gun's an 11.5, I end up treating things differently. Because um, you obviously can't put a 12 and 3 quarter inch handguard in 11.5. Um, so I think yeah, we're the only thing else that I would say to consider is if you're going with the shorter one, you should probably consider what ammo you're using because it's yeah you might want to use a specialty higher pressure ammo and, uh, a pressure uh, ammo with specialty powders like Superformance or which is why I suggest for most people that might not be considering that just go with the longer option because the longer you go, the less you need special ammo. Yeah, M M one ninety three out of a sixteen inch barrel or bigger is completely fine. Yeah, it's a vibe it's checker. Gonna, it's gonna fuck something up. So. It's not gonna go through your plates. I, a ton of people think that a twenty inch gun is just gonna put regular brass case normal ammo through your through through level three armor. It's probably not going to. It has and it can at like twelve yards. Like this is not like a an armor piercing round. Don't get that in your head. Like, don't go buy a 20 inch because you think you're going to shoot through people's plates. You're not. Um, yeah. So that's, I'm done so with barrel length now. The next part, the most important part, uh, is your optic choice. It's yeah. far and more indicative of what the gun is for than the length of the barrel. Exactly. Um, so, the, uh, you just want to go straight into the. the yeah, uh, I mean, I just. Hold on. Before we do get into that, I will. Well, just real quick, I wanted to say, I think that it is your optic is more indicative of what the gun's for than barrel length, but you should not put a red dot on anything longer than probably a twelve five or thirteen seven. I don't. That's not. I true. disagree with that. I think I think a, a red it's dot on a sixteen inch fine. gun, depending on what the gun's it's for. It's fine. You know, if it's for home defense, it's fine. If you're, if you're worried about you know, shooting somebody 75 yards away at, at your at the front of your neighborhood, you can, you're going to be fine with a red dot on a 16-inch gun. But when we get into these, you know, higher order things like uh, a collapse or war, you're, you're going to want more capability. And that's why me and Chandler definitely, and evidently Alex, are, on, are of the opinion that you should probably have some sort of magnified option. So we're not really going to talk about just red dots. We're going to talk about red dots. I would in say that you don't want just a red dot with no magnification on any gun that is not specifically for home defense inside and or a very tiny sub gun slash bag gun that doesn't have the capability of shooting past 100 yards. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Bag guns are really what I yeah, think just a red home dot defense. And bag guns. That's probably how yeah. I should have phrased it, but that's exactly what I meant. Yeah, out to, you know, 100 yards or so. A red dot's fine. But even at 100 yards, if somebody is partially, is very well concealed behind cover because they don't like to be shot, it's kind of hard to hit, you know, a four or five inch wide target uh, without magnification if you have a, at 100 yards, if your dot is four MOA and it covers up that entire target. But for the intents right? that we are 
for the intents and purposes that we want rifles for, yeah. we want magnification. For those, yeah, those those higher order uses. So this magnification, your red dot magnifier doesn't necessarily have to be attached to the gun 100% of the time. And that is one of the benefits of that system. It is the main benefit, yeah, I would say. You can put it in your chest rig, you can put it in your cargo pocket. So we had a bit of a hiccup we had to edit out there, a bit of road noise. Uh, so we're going to pick back up on red dots and magnifiers. Magnifier doesn't have to be on the gun 100% of the time. I would say that's the main advantage of it. Um, you can put it in your chest rig, you can put it in your cargo pocket, and you can clear a structure with a really lightweight, uh, low drag setup. Or if you have to walk a long ways, or you just don't think you're going to need it, you can take it off and put it in the bag somewhere. I would leave it where you can reach it. I wouldn't put it in like a backpack, but I would leave it where you can reach it. But it, getting that weight off your gun does help. Um, that's probably the only advantage of the red dot yeah. fire. So I mean, if you want a the huge disadvantage before we talk about other options is red dots and magnifier combinations are not they're not any cheaper than what you could get out of something that's going to give you far better magnification. Yes. It's it's not yeah. a price so, thing. And by better magnification, we mean clarity, uh, field of view, uh, and eye box is a big one. So your eye relief on on a magnifier, I've tried so hard to like a magnifier because it's such a cool idea. All of them I can't use because you get that nose right up in your charging handles pussy and it just queefs on you, especially with a silencer. It's brutal. Just straight lead and Zyklon B to the face. Yeah. It sucks. That and you know, using uh, a magnifier you don't have um you you don't have the reticle that you would out of you know some kind of ACOG prism or LPVO. Yeah. No, yeah, no mill reticle, no BDC reticle, yeah. as in like ballistic drop compensator. You can on some of the EOTechs, but it's really minimal. Um, and your magnification is slaved to batteries, uh, especially with an EOTech. Don't don't buy an EOTech unless you're yeah, just cloning not, a G. Not a fan of EOTechs. So they're your battery. EOTechs are for, for the law enforcement and the battery and people with the yeah. backing up of the U.S. military or of the yeah, U.S. government. You're also yeah. you're also locked in between one X with your red dot or EOTech, and then if you have a G thirty uh, three, you're one to three, and then if you buy a G forty five, you have one X and then five X, and there's no in between. Right. So we're gonna skip the EOTech. Like the the EOTech magnifiers are kind of the industry standard, but the actual EOTech optic, the battery pass. life is it's just a, it's a hard so pass. pitiful that it's it's not relevant. What for, we want guns for, I would say even any I wouldn't even say it's relevant for home defense. Why why have an EOTech when you could have a scope when you have an optic that's actually going to be turned on? When no, you yeah, it's it's not for anybody. It's not for anybody that are putting rifles together for the reason that we have listed. So forget about it. So, say you take a T2 and you put an aimpoint magnifier on there. It's an $800 optic with an $850 magnifier without the mount. You have to go get a mount too. Uh, that comes out to almost it comes out to about 11 ounces, right? That's fairly lightweight, but you're probably not going to do that. You're probably going to get uh, a Hollow Sun or an Aimpoint Pro or a Sig Romeo 5, and because that's 168 bucks for the optic, and you're gonna get a G33 magnifier that's three power for 600 bucks. So now you're like about 900 ish, uh, and it's that's a 15 ounce setup that weighs the same as an LPVO 
on the low end. That's that you can get LPVOs at 16 or 17 ounces. So the Romeo 5 is a pretty lightweight optic. Uh, you've, you're $900 into this, and you have pitiful eye relief. You have very poor clarity, effectively no field of view. Uh, There's just a ton and of Because it matters to me, you're not getting the... Because it matters to me, I'll bring this up, you're not getting the bomb-proof endpoint because you didn't spend $800 yeah. on a red dot. Yeah, the durability yeah. of the Romeo... The, the Romeo 5... It's... The Ro- it's it's pretty durable. Um, the clarity is not anything like a name point. Uh, the dot is a little grosser. It's not pretty like a name point dot. Um, and it's got you know it's got a little tint to it, and it feels a little cheaper in the hand. And uh, most importantly, it's you can't see through it with night vision. But really, the only optics you can see through with night vision are the uh, the the T2, the EOTech, the uh, Leopold Delta Point Pro, and the Leopold LCO, which is discontinued. And Chandler loves the Delta Point Pro. That, uh, highly recommends it. Not a huge fan. It's extremely uh, <laughs> not durable. Very fragile. fragile. Lots it's of dollars. Fragile. Yeah. Moving on from red dots magnifiers. The prism optics, uh, which we're kind of throwing in the LCAN and the ACOG. All the, the same optics. type of thing. Fight me. Fight me. The, a- the LCAN is a prism optic. It's just two prism uh, optics. I'll, I'll throw hands over okay. this. It's kind of also uh, an LPVO. It's a weird thing. The LCAN, for those who don't know, is a two-position. It's a two-position scope. So it's got a one X and a four X, and you flip a lever between them. It has nothing in between. Uh, it's it's like durable. a red dot and a magnifier was actually good. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, the one X is more like an LPVO is one X, um, which got great field of view, like an like an ACOG. Uh, lightweight, durable. It's also two thousand dollars. <laughs> If it was uh if it was thirteen hundred bucks, I would say it's overpriced, but knock yourself out. But at two grand, you <laughs> Yeah, that's insane. a lot of dollars. That's a lot of dollars for a the only optic. advantage it has is that it has it's one of the only options you can get that has extremely clear glass that you can get uh, you know, four at least four power magnification on that you can also passively aim through. But st- Yes, you can. Really? You can passively aim to the LCAN, and it's also like I mean, it is com- compared to LPVOs. There's like nothing that comes close to it with durability. I knew you were going to say that, and I wouldn't go that far. But I would say that I would say that it is it. It's between it and the ATOG, they're really the only options that are both lightweight and exceptionally durable as far as magnified yeah. optics. Um, but they both carry a lot of disadvantages. Uh, the LCAN, the big one, is the price. That's it's too much for like 2004 technology. The ACOG, I'm gonna break some hearts with this one. It's 1989 tech. It's time to go. It's it's obsolete. Yeah, and we literally uh, looked up the patent on this. Yeah. It is 1989. It's not 2003. It's not 2004. It is literally from 1989. It's probably older than some of y'all's dads listening. <laughs> it's old as balls. Uh, I don't know. Bring that up probably. That'd be a pretty young kid. Still, doesn't matter. The point is yeah, it's old. It, yeah. It's it's like, yeah, your parents were in school. Um, it's pre... It's older than Black Hawk Down. Um, it's a stupid old optic. And it has maybe even worse eye relief than a uh, magnifier. Uh Field of view is great. Clarity is great. BDC reticle is pretty great. Durability is um, great. It's super lightweight. Durability is great. 
the eye relief is horrific, like unusable. Like you are getting gas blasted, you know, right, right and to the kisser. Only four X. Yes, it does need to be paired with the one X. Or unless you like so, bend naming. I, I don't. Yeah, there's the bend and naming concept, which is uh, basically since it's illuminated, uh, you can. It's essentially like having a cap over the front of a t- of an aim point. Your eye will just superimpose the illuminated reticle over the image from your other eye. Your brain does that anyway. Um, it works. You can get hits. Uh, it introduces some parallax, but it's at the ranges that it actually is effective. Yeah, it, it works. Parallax. It works, but you can also paint the inside of your house with lead lead paint, but you don't. So. <laughs> Yeah. Uh it, yeah, the nose to charging handle thing will give you lead poisoning and it will likely decrease your IQ. It's lead lead's not a good thing to have in your That's blood. the problem with the There there's no amount of there is no amount of lead in your blood that is not harmful. Uh so there's also the diving board mounts for the for the ACOG that get it like a little further back and there's different models that have slightly more uh eye relief and you end up just looking stupid and having a two and a half power optic uh that costs Two thousand dollars, and don't don't bother with that. Uh, if the ACOG was six hundred bucks, I would probably recommend it. Um, it's a th- it's well into the price of very nice LPOs yes. at a thousand, like used for like a thousand. Con- considering you also have to purchase a one X to throw on with it, which is another three to four hundred dollars. If you're not going to use the bending aim- aiming concept and you're going to use a one X, you're wasting money on your ACOG. Uh, there will be dudes on Instagram comment sections telling you that you can get a used ACOG for seven hundred bucks. Uh, they haven't looked they haven't looked since twenty ten. Never, never seen an ACOG for that much. Yeah. They haven't looked in the past decade. I've been looking and they've always been over a thousand dollars. LPVOs. The correct choice for pretty much everybody. Yeah. LPVOs pretty um, pretty cool idea. All three of us have LPVO on our main rifles. So your one to six, your one to eight, one to fours are a thing. I was just one to six and one to eight are really the relevant options. There's one to tens too, but I'll talk about why I don't like those in a minute. So your your one X is not as good as a red dot, but it's entirely irrelevant um, because you're not a Barbie doll and you can learn to shoot with something that is still vastly better than iron sights. Um, you just you have to be behind the gun. You have to be looking through the scope properly. Um, it's, it's really a lot like using a, a red dot on a pistol. A lot of people who try to use their iron sights to line up their red dot and don't know what they're doing, which we'll, we'll talk about later. It's, but for those of you who get this reference, um, it's a lot like a red dot on a pistol. If you try to use it wrong, it will make you slower and it will make you suck. But if you just use it like a scope... But you'll be fine. I grew up shooting a three to nine scope, uh, really close for like hunting practice. Uh, Chandler, you're gonna throw in something about scope yeah. shadow since you know that dynamic stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's just basically the idea, or the fact is that you don't actually need 100% perfect eye relief to make an accurate shot, right? Like you're not getting that bad of parallax inside of the distances that you would be presenting the gun, and not having the time, I guess, maybe, to get perfect eye relief. If there is a little, suffice it to say, if there is a little blackness in your scope that you're seeing from, you know, your head being shifted, uh, you can still shoot the gun. The gun still works. Yeah. Yeah. 
you might not get your you might not get your three hundred round your three hundred yard first shot hit. The dude, at, the dude at thirty yards, yards is there's a hole in his chest. You're not missing him. Yeah. Oh my god, it's three quarters of an inch to the left. <laughs> if if that. You can still be extremely fast and extremely precise with LPVOs. There's a great video out there of Jerry uh, Michalek shooting a grape in less than a quarter of a second, like just going bam and nailing a grape. It's insane. And you can be extremely fast and extremely precise with an LPVO. So if you if you pick up an LPVO and you're like, this is not a true one power, it's a little you're bit bigger, probably it's a little right. bit smaller. Uh, there's, a, there's a diopter in the back. Uh, it's this little ring. And typically on scopes, that's used to adjust uh, for the parallax of your eye. Um, on an LPVO, you use it to set your 1x, and it gets close enough to the parallax that it doesn't matter. Um, so you just point it at something, you mount it to the gun at the distance you're going to get it, and you get your cheek weld, and you point it at... I usually use like to use a vertical structure, and I point it at that, and I just kind of adjust the diopter until it lines up right. And that's how you set your 1x. It might not be the same as 1x for your buddy, but it's fine, right? All right, boys. I have uh, I have arrived. I'm gonna have to exit the podcast. Adios. All right. I'll just finish talking about scopes. All right. You guys have a good one. So, yeah, well, that was the one X. Um, six X, eight X. These are not going to be as good as your traditional scope on their higher ends, but you're still gonna have on on the scopes we're gonna talk about. You're still gonna have nice eye relief. You're still gonna get a good reticle, pretty good clarity, pretty good field of view. Uh, and compared to all of the other options we talked about so far, like your magnifier and your prism optics, vastly better. Uh, maybe not as good field of view as the ACOG, um, but you're, you can get 1 to 6, 1 to 8. Uh, and that really just it lets you it stretch out more, all of right? the you previous can... options out of the water except for 1x inside of 10 yards. It's about right. Yeah, I would say 10, 10 yards is about right. Maybe even just like 8 yards. It's like really, really close is where Red Dot has a slight advantage. Um, in in the, a very, uh, very minuscule advantage. You can, I mean, you almost don't even... You can't, you can't tell You almost don't even timer. need to aim. It's at the distances yeah. where it's really making a big difference. Yeah. So um, we'll get into options for the LPVO in a second. Um, we kind of skipped over the other options for the other things because we don't recommend them. But for the LPVO, we're going to get into a lot of options. Uh, one more thing, first focal plane versus second focal plane. On a first focal plane optic, um, your reticle is going to change size relative to... Uh, to like It's going to look like it's changing size when you change your magnification. And that's so that the subtensions, the measurements in there, stay accurate at all of these different ranges. So it's like your reticle is out there on the target and you're zooming So a in little on. bit more advantageous for higher magnification scopes. So if you've got your 1 to 8 and you want to take a shot at 350 yards on 4 power and you need your holdover to be correct, um, you're going to want a first focal plane scope. Now if you're just as fine taking that shot on 8x or just guesstimating your holdover instead of using the one on your reticle at 350, um, then you can go ahead and go with the second focal plane, which I think is a little more preferable for up close because you get your full reticle at point blank range. It's 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 nice and big. Usually have a, a nice little like one MOA dot in the center or a little crisp crosshair that's illum that will illuminate. 
and it's 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 more. I think second focal plane is more usable at point blank range. Yeah, I mean, it's, yes, you're gonna have a little less busy of a reticle, and that's just the nature of how it works. There's you can't really get around that. If you want a good, if you want good holdovers and a good reticle at a longer distance, you're gonna have to sacrifice the. There's just no free lunch. You're gonna have to sacrifice the one X a little bit. And so, that's really a big flaw with something like the Voodoo one to ten. Uh, the reticle is not really designed for one X. It's designed for ten X. And at 1x, you kind of need your illumination to be able to see. And it's not that bright to begin with. With your Razor 1 to 10, you get a specialized reticle that's supposed to be good on both. It's not. Uh, it's, it's really not that great. It's not that great on either. It's better than the Voodoo on both, but it's not that great on either. Um, and I really think that the uh, the 10x you get out of that for $2,449 is about comparable to the 10x you get out of a $250 Viper HST 2.5 to 10. And not, not a... It's the, the, after the price increase of the one to ten from Razor. It's basically a non-factor. It used to run for about seventeen hundred yeah. street price. Now it's well over two grand. Not not worth it at all. Yeah, one to six, one to eight is really the sweet spot for your LPVO. Um, going for a one to six, you're really going to do that to save money or to save weight. But one to eight is probably one to eight second focal plane would be my preference. Would you agree? Yeah, ideally, one to eight second focal plane. Yeah. Um. So let's cover some options real quick. Uh, the cheapest one that we recommend, and we, this isn't like a bare minimum, this is a yeah. good scope, right? So this one Alex uses, it's a shame he had to go. Uh, it's the Viper PST 1 to 6. It's 22.7 ounces, $599 on Amazon. We didn't go with MSRP. We didn't go with the cheapest price we could find. We went with Amazon on these because it's solid the, baseline price, price that yeah. people would actually pay. Yeah. MSRP on this thing is like 800 bucks or something, but it's five ninety-nine. street price. I'd say it's about that everywhere, too. Yeah, you can get a little cheaper on eBay. Um, what is it's, there to say? It's a good scope. scope. It's definitely um, the... I wouldn't go cheaper. If you if you go cheaper than that, you're going to find yourself thinking, oh, well, LPVOs suck. That's kind of where that comes from. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I, I did that originally back in 20 like 18 or something, I tried out the little Vortex, uh, what's it called, the Strike Eagle 1-8, to and I was like, wow, these LPVO things were really bad. Um, <laughs> you get a tiny little eye box, you get really poor clarity, and you get basically no field of view on op optics right. cheaper than that one. Now on that one, your eye box is good. I wouldn't say great, but it's it's good enough. It's pretty good. If if you're... Actually, I'll, I'll save this for a little bit. I'll save this for later. Yeah. Clarity is subjective. If you're a scope guy like me, the clarity on the Viper is kind of poor. If you're not a scope guy, you're going to be like, wow, this thing's perfectly clear. I don't know why you'd want anything more than this. Uh, basically, if you're like a deer hunter and you have like $1,500 scopes on your deer rifles, you're going to be a little disappointed in the clarity of the Viper PSD. Yeah, and then the next step up from there, I would say, is two options that are about the same price. You can find them used consistently and even brand new they're about the same price is the razor one to six uh and the voodoo one to eight are the two best middle of the road i would say bang for your buck good value that are going to give you really good glass for then they're not going to like completely shatter the bank yeah so i'm going to cover the razor first because i talked to a vortex rep about this uh, specifically about the viper versus the razor uh, he said the big difference you'll see with the razor Aside from the durability, which the Viper is pretty durable too. The Razor is bomb-proof. Uh, 
the razor is going to have clearer glass. It's going to be crisper, all that. A um, little better eye box. But what you're really gaining is field of view. And you gain so much field of view on the razor that you really don't see the housing of the optic like at all. Right. You really just get this yeah. floating reticle if you have your 1X set properly. Uh, it's For the money, it's the best 1X on any LPVO, I think. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. The, uh, the Voodoo 1-6 to is also a great optic um if you get a good price on it i would uh it's a slight it's a, it's a good you know quarter pound lighter than the uh, razor one to six quarter pound uh say? they're they're all the same weight actually the difference is there's two razors one is the older version that is a little bit heavier and then there is a newer version that is a hundred or two hundred dollars more that is a little bit lighter but functionally there's no difference other than weight but all of the LPOs, all the LPVOs that you're gonna buy, um, your your Vortex PST all the way up to your, you know, three thousand dollar Night Four scopes are all about the twenty to twenty two ounce range. Yeah, a couple of them are gonna be like ridiculously heavy, but um, not the ones we listed. Um, so your uh, between the Razor and the Voodoo. I would say I slightly prefer the Razor. If you find a good price on the Voodoo, buy it. If you find a good price on the Razor, buy it. They're both great scopes. You're you're really never going to feel the need to upgrade if you're fine with a 1 to 6. The Razor has uh, brighter illumination, and I think it's got a little better eye box, in my opinion. Um, Clarity is about the same. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree? say that they're pretty similar. You, you can, I think you can usually find the Voodoo slightly cheaper, but... I don't know. Also, the Voodoo one to six we have listed as a first focal plane. I don't know if there's, there's a second. There's focal not. Plane you're stuck not. with first focal plane. Uh, I would. I would definitely yeah, go for the one to eight on the fact that the one to six Voodoo and the one to eight Voodoo are basically around the same price. So whatever you're going to find the one to six right. for, you can probably find the one to eight for too. So I, I would. I would opt for the one to eight unless you just get a you know kick ass deal on the one to six. Yeah. Oh, I guess yeah. I guess the next step up from the two one to sixes would be the. Uh... The Voodoo one to eight second focal plane, twenty point eight ounces, thirteen hundred bucks on Amazon. Same exact price as the Voodoo one to six, but if you're looking used, it's probably going to cost a little more. Uh, I love this scope. It's our, uh, it's Cade. He'll be on the podcast later. He was busy today. Um, I also have one. I have the Razor and I have a Voodoo. Yeah, I haven't shot the Voodoo yet though. Yeah, the uh, the Voodoo is a great scope. I like it a lot. If uh, yeah, I. There's not much to say. Great scope. Good eye box. Good clarity. Um, great reticle. Fairly bright. Uh, good controls. Buy it. Um, the Razer Gen 2E you kind of yeah. covered already. Mainly, it's slightly lighter than the Razer 1-6 to Gen 2. Uh, I don't know that it's really any it's, better in any other way. It's functionally the exact same thing except for weight. Uh yeah, so it's twenty one point five ounces instead of twenty five point right. two, uh, and it costs a little more, about two hundred bucks more. And then next step up uh, from there. So the next step up is your going to be your. I'm 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 going to talk about the Leopold Mark Six, but what we have written down is the Leopold VX Six. I don't the exactly. The, I think the VX6 might have replaced the, the Mark issue VI. with the Mark 6 is that know. as of the recording of this it's no longer commercially available. It's a military law enforcement only cringe Leopold, but it's also a really expensive scope. 
Well, it's it's like seventy hundred ah. bucks or something. Uh, so the the VX six comes in a little bit cheaper at like fifteen hundred bucks, sixteen point two ounces, which is the lightest on the list. Yes, barely. Wicked lightweight, one pound, like a water bottle. Uh, if you want like your super lightweight, you know, eleven five, this might be a good option. Um, great glass. It's going to beat all of the previous options, uh, including probably the ACOG and clarity and uh, glass quality. Going to beat everything, but probably I don't know. The Razer might have better field of view. I didn't write that down. BX6 is a great scope. If you like, if you're a glass snob, might be the ticket. Fifteen hundred bucks. Um, the Kala's K16i. That's what I run. Sixteen point nine three ounces, two grand. Big price. Uh, best glass. Like you forget you're looking through an LPVO. It feels like looking through a nice high end, you know, three to fifteen or something. It's a really nice scope. Um, it, even though it's just six X, I, I can identify targets super well in thick brush out to four hundred yards, which I wouldn't say is totally true of the other LPVOs. I'm talking like really thick brush, not not just like in the woods, but like. A, a gray steel target or a rusted out brown steel target on kind of that rusty brown East Texas color. Uh, it's the colors come through amazingly. The uh, there's no edge refraction or any of that. Great scope. Uh, probably not worth the money, but if you don't care that much, cool. Uh, the K18i is the Collis's new one to eight, so it's essentially the same thing as the K16i except that it's uh, two and a half ounces heavier and it's a one to eight still second focal plane. Uh, I haven't shot it. It's probably just as clear. You're going to cover the night force options. Yeah. The, the night force is oh God. I think the attackers like even street price is like $2,800, something ri- ridiculous like that. That's what we have. On it's, the it is the, it's probably the only LPVO on the list that is, more durable than the Razer. I mean, it's a night force scope. It's that's, I believe that they issue that out to you know all kinds of units in the military. It's super durable. The one to eight attacker is what I would focus on. I don't, I don't, there's a love hate relationship with the night force's little brother, the NX eight, which is cheaper. I want to say it's uh, below the $2,000 mark. 1750. So it's in the market. It's it's in the around the same price with the other ones. I would probably buy a Leopold scope or a Collis before the NX8. The NX8 yeah. is of of the people who've shot both on forums, most of them seem to prefer the K69. Yeah, most... uh, they used to be the same price. The NX8 got a little cheaper, and the Collis yeah, got a little more expensive. Either people but... really love the NX8 or really hate the NX8. I've never seen it in person. I have no clue, but it's it's nice and light at 17 ounces, but a lot of people really don't like the One uh, X. I've never, I've literally never seen a Night Force scope in person, so I wouldn't. Know. Uh, but I, what I will say is the Attacker is probably, probably pretty damn nice. You know, it's a $2,800 scope. Yeah. It's a first. It's a yes. It is a first focal plane one to eight. So it's it prioritizes more yeah. of the higher end magnification of the scope. Yeah, Special Forces issues this as a DMR scope. So this is more of your. Um, like a three-weight battle rifle, you got a Scar H, and you want some good magnification, and you want to skip over the Elcan. Uh, Attacker is probably a good choice because it's really, it's really twenty durable. ounces, uh, and it's quite usable at one X. It's maybe not the best at one X, but it's quite usable, and it's got the best eight X probably of any LPVO. 
I would probably take it over something like a Razor 1 to 10 for long range because the reticle is so damn good. Yeah, it's it's a good scope. Nice glass. Um, Very nice glass. Yeah. And the, the turrets and, and the turrets and such are also highly praised. I don't know much about it, but it's it's more it's of a DMR you, it's, scope. That's it's also what you would really want X. after spending three thousand dollars on a scope. <laughs> yeah. You're not spending three grand for a uh, for a point blank range shooter. Uh the Trigicon Credo second focal plane. I don't know much about it. Um I just know it's eight hundred and sixty four bucks and it's nineteen ounces and it says Trigicon on it. Uh, and it's not a VCOG. The VCOG is a really weird optic. The Credo, I don't know. I don't really know anything about it. It's probably good. It's an option to look up and do some research into. Uh, they also have a 1 to 8 first focal plane. Uh, and the 2 to 10 Credo first focal plane, we have listed in the wrong category. So we're going to go ahead and move yeah, on to so, regular So scopes, what right? I was going to hold before is, earlier we were talking about, you know... LPVOs are they're expensive. I mean, so are so are your uh, red dot magnifier accommodations, and you know if you do the LCOG, the uh, the LCOG, the LCAN or the ACOG thing, it's going to be expensive too. But um, you know, not everyone is going to want to jump straight into a thousand dollar, fifteen hundred dollar LPVO. But the thing is, is you can get good glass out of something cheaper than a six hundred dollar PST. You're just not going to get a one X. And that's what we're going to talk about next. Yeah. So my favorite example to always bring up for that is the uh, the Nikon P223. Unfortunately, Nikon bailed out of making rifle scopes because they couldn't compete. But the uh, P223 was this sick little three to nine had a BDC reticle in it, you know, specifically for 223. And like the the six X on that, as good or better than the six X on like the Razor. It's and it's 160 bucks. Um, the problem is, it Couple has. Problems. It's pretty fragile. Very it's pretty fragile. Very fragile. It's, it's about 10 ounces. It's, it's impossible for it to be as durable as the other options. Yeah, uh, you get 3x on the low end, which kind of sucks. Um, what else is there? You know, I, I might have over overstated the clarity a little bit. Um, the field of view is definitely not as good as the Razor. Um, but the light gathering is probably comparable because you get a 40, 40 or 44 millimeter objective on a scope like that versus on an LPVO, you get either a 24 or a 30. So that front lens being bigger helps you gather more light so you can see better at dawn and dusk. Um, so if you're really on a tight budget and you need a magnified optic, I would look at a 3 to 9. Uh, since the P223 is discontinued, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Vortex Diamondback is probably pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up, uh, shooting three to nines hunting deer, uh, like a Leopold VX2. Uh, it's pretty outdated. You don't get good reticle options, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. But my point is being, uh, three power is not as unusable at very close ranges as you would think it would be. It's pretty rough inside 10 yards though. So you can combine it with a, uh, with a offset dot, which we'll get into later. Yeah. So that's the other thing that you do have to kind of spend money on because if you because you're buying a cheaper scope that's going to give you comparable clarity to an LPVO at six or eight power, uh, you like I said you've got to give up your one X if you want that if you want to be able to hit that price point threshold. So it kind of gets offset by the fact that you need to buy a one X as in an offset dot. Yeah. So then 
creeping up the range of regular scopes because like scope guys are cringing at this point that we're recommending a $160 Nikon. So we're going to creep up. Really the point of a regular scope is like really, really nice high-end glass and they cost more than LPVOs on the right. high end. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, I don't think the high end is really necessary for 5.56. We'll get there. Uh, a scope that I'm a huge fan of is the Vortex Viper HST 2.5 to 10. I use it on my 6.8 hunting rifle. Uh, you can find it as cheap as 300 bucks. I think street, I think uh, Amazon price is 550. PST 2.5 um, to 10 is $400. Yeah. So light gathering $400 on Amazon. Yeah. So, depending on your reticle, I think. Uh, the mill reticle is what I would recommend. I have the BDC. It's kind of a pain. Because um, I have a 6.8, and it doesn't follow a normal path. Uh, which, quickly, I don't recommend 6.8 for your general purpose rifle. It's strictly for shooting deer and hogs. Um, the 10X, I think, is as good or better than the Razor 1-10. to The 2.5X is significantly better than any LPVOs 2.5x. Uh, durability, again, on these cheaper scopes, they're not designed for military use. It's not that durable, but it's also pretty lightweight. Uh, price is great. Clarity is great. Field of view is great. Ibox is pretty good. Not quite as good as most LPVOs, but it's pretty good. Comparable to like the Viper 1-6. to So, good options for good magnification, good reticles at way better than LPBO prices. Right. So we get into what people might stop cringing about. This is a military grade 2 to 10 Liturgicon Credo. Um, Vortex has one too, but it's like 28 ounces or something. It's ridiculous. So the Trigicon Credo 2 to 10 is 23 ounces and a thousand bucks. Uh, and the guys over at Barrel and Hatchet, which they call it a podcast, but they only post it on YouTube, so whatever. Uh, they're a big fan. They're big fans of the scope. Uh, you get sign- like all the things I've said so far about these cheaper regular scopes. The Trigicon Credo does them significantly better, but it's twenty-three ounces and it's really durable. Uh, anything else? I to think add? it's got good illumination yeah. too. It's it's the first one. It's the first of the regular scopes we've talked about that has yeah. illumination, and it's pretty good. It's also got nice turrets, if you're that kind of guy. Uh, these regular scopes, it starts to become more relevant, like dialing for elevation. Yeah. Uh, instead of just using a reticle. So the um, offset optic, the offset 1X then, that you've got to pair up with these. Were there any other regular scopes that we were going to talk about? Yes. The Viper 3-15. to Okay, yeah. I'm a little bit higher. I think that this is as high as I would go for a 5.56. Um, there's several models the PST being the highest the HST is a little cheaper there's like an HS, they, they might not all be 3 to 15 but they're all like right there maybe it's like 4 to 14 or something the Viper PST 3 to 15 is has impeccably good class it's as good as like a Zeiss optic from like 10 years ago it's, it's very modern, it's a very good deal for the money um, great turret tracking zero stops a little Clunky. It's not really zero stop. It goes a little bit past zero and stops. But um, reticle's great. Clarity is insanely good. Like the, it looks better than real life. Um, it's a little heavy, but it's a three to fifteen. 
that's a trade-off you make. If you're looking for an SPR, this is what I unequivocally recommend. Vortex, Viper, PST, 3 to 15. Uh, it's usable in a general purpose rifle, but you're probably going to want to combine that with the next topic. Offset and top yeah. guns. So, you take it? Uh, you know, you're, you're, because you are either getting that 3 to f- that you know 15 10 power magnification you're probably going to have to sacrifice your 1x or if you're trying to hit a really good price point that's you know well under what a razor or voodoo costs you're going to have to give up your 1x so in my opinion i still think that unless you know this is a freaking sniper rifle which it's not cuz it's 556 uh, you should probably have a pretty good 1x <laughs> um in my opinion if i was going to put a offset dot um, on any setup that I would do, I think the go-to would be a offset mount that's going to run to you probably fifty dollars. You get the really nice like yeah, T-Rex the T-Rex Arasaka one. one's going to cost you fifty yes. fifty to hundred, I would think, and then um, the fifty to a hundred. Yes, fifty to not fifty two hundred. Uh, fifty or I would throw that. I would pair that with a Holosun yeah. 507C. is is probably what I would do. Yeah, that's gonna be it's gonna be RMR or Delta Point footprint. The Delta Point I think is great offset dot. Um, principal disadvantage again. It being breaks if you drop it. It's super fragile. It breaks super if you fragile. drop it, um, especially with the weight of a rifle and it's behind it. Over four hundred dollars. Um, right. Um, but you get really good passive aiming glass if you're into that. Um, as in, like, looking through with your night vision instead of using a laser, so that you're not, you know, using a laser. If you've ever played a Call of Duty realism mode. Um, other good options are going to be the T2. You're also going to get that good night vision capability, and you're also getting basically unparalleled yeah, durability. Yeah, and then you're... Uh, no, nobody's sticking a Comp M5 yeah. on the side of their gun. So the T2 is the most durable then option. Then uh, your bank account's going to hurt. Yeah. So your RMR, I would probably prefer the. I would go with the Hall Sun. It's clearer. It's, you can get one. It's clearer and get it's one right cheaper. now for three hundred dollars. Uh, it's a side loading battery. It has a good, nice and small two MOA dot. Um, you know, literally the only downside, the only downside to the Hall Sun five hundred seven line is it's a Chinese optic. That's that's it. Yeah, literally the only. Thing. If you if you have to buy American, T two or RMR. Uh, Actually, the T2 is Swedish, so RMR, they're at the point pro. Uh, so the 507C, the 508T, both go on the RMR footprint. They're both going to be good options. Another one. Um, the the 509, I have no idea what a good mount is. So offset. Off the top of my head, the only one I can think of that works with it is Arisaka does make one for the 509T. And yes. Okay. That's yeah. probably the best choice, honestly. If money is not so much of an option and the Chinese thing doesn't bother you, the 509 is probably the best option. It's either the first or second best like super miniature red dot like you'd put on a pistol next to the uh, Acro P2 from Aimpoint. But the Acro is 600 bucks. It weighs two full ounces, which is quite a bit for these, for these optics. Um, and it is ugly as <laughs> balls. And you get... A really tiny window and a lot of optic yeah. housing, so that it matters more on a rifle than a huge. So you get such I'm a also not a huge fan that it only comes in three and a half MOA dots. Uh, the Holosuns come two MOA standard, yeah. which 
if you're putting in, it's kind of relevant. You know, you got your three power scope, which is usable at like 50 yards. Uh, I mean, it's. I think it's more relevant on a rifle because on a rifle you're making way more precise shots than you know on your pistol. Yeah, yeah. On my carry pistol, I have a one MOA RMR. So I, obviously, we prefer as small as possible. Two MOA is probably the sweet spot, but I like to just get a one MOA and turn up the brightness a little bit. Um, the advantage, the huge advantage uh, to the 509 is that it's obviously, or if you don't know, actually, it's it's an enclosed emitter, so it is... It, it in the P1 and P2 for main point are the only options that are right. true closed and emitters. I don't want to say it is, uh, you know, immune to weather, but it's... But it's compared it is, to the yes. others, it is. So... You get your RMR, you get a little water on your uh, your your laser is projected from a lens on that is lens open to the elements. air in between. Yes. So you, if you get water on the projecting lens, you basically need a Q-tip to get it out, and it scatters this red light all across your window, where you can't even see your iron sights. It's worse than not having nothing on so, top of the gun. Maybe for some people that are watching, they have pistol red dots on their pistols, uh, more than likely they are open emitter dots, being that the emitter is uh, subject to... It's it's probably an RMR or something really cheap, like right. a Vortex fan. Um Not a lot of people are running Acros. Um, the Holosun 509 is caught on a lot more, but I would venture to say most people are running Holosun 507s, RMRs, Delta Point Pros. Now, why does having, why does having the closed emitter optic make... A lot more sense as an offset dot on a rifle. So the rifle, or excuse me, I'll talk about the pistol first. So maybe a reason why an open emitter dot on a pistol isn't the worst idea is because, well, one, the pistols, it could be in your waistline as one, but what I'm getting to at, what I'm getting to is the, the reciprocation of the slide on the pistol is going to potentially throw out anything or throw out any debris, throw out any water. Yeah, if you get like a big chunk of the reciprocation there, yeah. of the slide is going to kind of clear up your your dot for you on your next shot. Now rifles, spe- or specifically the AR15, um it's there's no way for a dot to be reciprocating when you shoot. So if your shit gets stuck, right. it's stuck. Yeah. And you're not just going to toss your shirt flap over an offset dot. That's that's not how it works. You can't just protect it with your clothes. And if you put a cover on it, that defeats the entire purpose of it being there for an immediate reaction. So, no. I, I would go close to rifle, probably. yeah. Unless, uh, you know, if... One more option is the uh, Sig Romeo 5. It's like a T2 size optic. It's 5.1 ounces. So it is over twice as heavy as all of the other options we talked about as offset dots. Uh, but it's 168 bucks, and it's closed emitter, and it's pretty good glass. It's not it's not really good for night vision, but it's pretty good. Uh, it's over twice as heavy. Is that... Not is, to use it. Is that and it's a really weird... Is that footprint. weight with the, get, with the mount or without the mount? That's probably with the lower okay. one-third height, or with a full co-witness height. So you're going to take that mount off. It, it comes with like a like a riser, essentially. And it's... I think it's T2 footprint. Yeah, it is a T2 footprint. Uh, yeah. Without the riser. But it's a little taller than a T2, so the mounts fit weird, and it's going to be slightly more off to the side. It's not ideal, but if you're looking for your budget option, like something to pair with your little Nikon P223, because you're balling on a budget, that's, yeah, that's 168 bucks, And you can just mount it on a, a offset Picatinny rail instead of getting a fancy um, 
you know, T-Rex arms. It's probably not going to survive a whole bunch of concrete drops, but it's going to hold zero. I would say it's probably going to do on par with like the 507C or eh. the RMR. It's those tube style optics are a lot more durable than these little MRDSs. You can also put a T2 on the side of your gun if you want to spend 800 bucks, but jeez. I guess if you like really want the night vision capability, you can do that, which leads us into top dots. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't really have a whole lot of time. You could put this. dot on top of your scope. Yeah. I've tried it. I hated it. Some people really like it. If you're like one of those guys who likes those really tall like Unity tactical mounts, uh, you might like the top dot. Um, for daytime shooting, I would say 45 degree every time for almost everybody. But the top dot gives you that nice riser for night vision shooting. Uh, it's totally, you know, the, the entire gun is way out of the way. You know, so it's, it's really more of a dedicated night vision uh, passive aiming device for me. Uh, and the T2 would be the main option I would consider. Uh, you put a Delta Point Pro up there, it's probably going to break. That's a really, that's, it's not as nicely nestled into the gun as a 45 degree. And nothing else really gets the same night vision capability. Uh, you, a lot of people put RMRs up there, which works fine. You just, it's kind of like that ACOG where you're, you're not seeing through the optic. You're superimposing the image from one onto the other, which I imagine would not be very fun with a PVS-14. It's not too bad with duels. From experience, I have duels. I shoot a pit, an armor and a pistol. I can get hits out to 30 yards probably. I would say the top dot is kind of one of those things where uh, you're going to figure out if it's for you or not by doing it by yourself. Yeah. Uh, which really sucks because if you want good night vision capability and good durability... Uh, you're going to be buying a T2, which is 800 bucks. Sucks. <laughs> I guess you could put an EOTech on top of your scope. R slash, oh my god. Yeah. So one of y'all who listened to that entire over an hour podcast, uh, DM me at Armadillo Eggs. Uh, DM me a picture of an EOTech mounted on top of your scope. And uh, I'll uh, give you a virtual hug and a kiss. Yeah, I'll make sure to block you. <laughs> that's a good place to end it i'd say you? yeah 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 i uh, will probably get back into it next week with uh slings and lights um probably won't be as long as today but yeah way, to way less to talk about with slings and lights. A good week week i don't know yeah. i don't know how long it'll be hopefully i'll have a good unspecified period of time all right adios